All right, we'll uh, wrap up our conversations, find our seats. As you're finding your seats, you can open up a Bible uh, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's uh, passage will be also on, on the screen. Um, just, it's a joy just to be able to welcome you here. It's a joy to be able to open God's Word. It's a joy to be able to... Um, like sincerely wish you a Merry Christmas. It's a, it's a great joy. I mean, we have people coming in from out of town. We have people leaving here and going to other places. But um, the thing that centers us all is um, just this idea that Jesus has come into the world because he loves the world and he gave himself up for us. And um, I really don't have anything better that I can offer you this morning. This truth is, it's ageless it will be something that we will marvel at for all of eternity. It will be what sustains us and grows us and allows us um, to change over the course of all of our life. And so I just want to be able to, to marvel at this message afresh this morning. Um, my son Landon has an extreme eye for detail, and that's why he's running the sound booth this morning. Uh, I remember, I, I'm going to guess he's four or five years old. We give him uh, one of his first Lego sets, and I think it's a Star Wars one, and he gets Luke Skywalker out, and he's like, hey, um, his hair is not supposed to be that color. It's supposed to be brown. And so um, just this incredible eye for detail. And so over time, like what we do is we buy him paints and markers so he can kind of customize his Lego so that they're actually authentic to the movies. And if you know me at all, that's completely opposite of how I am. So I, I often have people come in my office and say, hey, did you know that light bulb is out up above you? You know, I totally miss uh, a lot of the details. I remember um, in the 90s, there were these uh, 3D optical illusions that you could kind of stop and check out in the mall, a la the movie Mall Rats for any 90s fans out there. Um, you, you were supposed to be able to see a picture when you looked off in the distance and you had to kind of move your eyes a certain way. Like, I had people that could just pick up that, like, instantly. And I would sit and I would stare, like, literally for 10 minutes, and then I would get frustrated. And honestly, I would just lie and say that I saw the picture, but I never saw the picture. Um, but the, the reality is there's this picture, you know, that's supposed to be clear, and it's hidden in plain sight. And um, Hayden already read our passage this morning. We're going to look at John three sixteen and 17. We're going to look at a truth that oftentimes is hidden in plain sight. I mean, it's a, it's a truth that, I mean, you're going to look at the Super Bowl, you know, in, in about a month's time, and people are going to be holding up John three sixteen, And it's really easy in the midst of all of the busyness and all of the hustle and bustle um, to become overly familiar with the truth of the love of God. And so I'm just going to pray that God would, this morning, that he would open our eyes in a fresh way, that we would, because this is, a, this is God's spiritual meal for his people today, right? That's what preaching is, by the way. Like God is offering you some food. And there's this picture in John chapter 6 of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish. And so there, there's this idea that, there's, God is offering you real spiritual food. He's offering you all spiritual food right now that you can take, that you can take into your body. 
And it's meant to be multiplied and given away to other people. And that's my prayer as we look at a truth that's often hidden in plain sight. If you have your Bibles open, would you look at John 3.16 and 17 with me? I'm going to read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's amazing news. But in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. I thank you that it's the defining reality of our lives, whether we realize it or not. I do pray in these few moments that we have together that you would convince us all in fresh and liberating ways of your love, that your love never ends, that it never fails, that it never gives up on us, that your love chases after us. I pray that you would send your spirit right now to help us to comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love and that we would be different as the result. I pray for those that doubt that we would be convinced of your love. For those that um, need rest right now, I pray that your love would bring rest and refreshment. For those that strive without ceasing, I pray that they would hear the message that it is finished. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this concept of the love of God, one of the things that makes it most difficult to comprehend for us is that we all tend to have different ideas of what love is. So for some of us, love merely means a sentiment, you know? Um, Lots of us are going to be traveling to extended family, and the word I love you can flow off of um, a family member's lips with about as much sincerity as bless your heart, you know? I mean, it's just this greeting that we have for one another, right? I mean, it's very sentimental, but there's no depth to it. What we're going to encounter today is a love that goes much deeper than sentiment. You know, and then for other people, um, this would be the culture's prevailing uh, definition of what love is. Love equals tolerance, right? You accept me as I am, right? And so, what we're going to look at this morning is a love um, that not only accepts us, but a love that changes us from the inside out. Um, most of our concepts of love come from romantic comedies where God is, um, I mean, where people love one another and they're able to um, come together and that kind of love sustains them and changes them as they go about their lives. What we're going to see this morning is a love that changes us at the core of who we are. Because the book of 1 John says that God himself is love. He's the one that defines love. This means that everything that he does is governed by his love. That means all of his actions towards us as his people are governed by and ruled by his love. And that's supposed to be a liberating concept for us. 
This idea that we're celebrating that God gave his one and only son is supposed to make a difference in how we walk out of this room this morning. That his love has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So everything that he does is governed by his love. And not only is his love the reality that governs the universe, his love is the truth that's meant to govern our hearts, right? Because we all have real circumstances in our lives. This series is called Jesus Is. This is the good news of Christmas for needy people, right? That, that he's eager to meet us exactly where we are. And God's love is not just an abstract concept. God's love took on flesh. God's love came into the world. God's love took action and form so that we would know what he's like. Um, the last several years, I've had the privilege of traveling to Nepal and working with a translator for the first time. And you develop a, a really cool relationship with someone that's helping you to understand another culture. You tell them the things that you're thinking, and I, I remember there would be, I mean, he would be right here, and we'd be having side conversations about how to help the audience understand the things that I'm trying to communicate to the people of Nepal. And um, yeah, there'd be lots of jokes going back and forth, but the reality is a, a good translator helps someone in one culture understand another culture. Well, what Jesus is helps us understand what God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. We don't have to wonder how God responds to certain situations, right? We don't have to wonder how would God respond to a woman that's caught in the very act of adultery. We don't have to guess. Like we have this picture of Jesus in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. He goes to her and people are picking up rocks and they're ready to stone her and he disarms them all with his love and his love changes the course of that lady's life forever. We don't have to wonder how God responds in the midst of all of these things. We don't have to wonder how God responds to those that need instruction, those that are ignorant, those that are wayward. We have these living illustrations. Jesus came to make God's love known and to make God's love manifest. Jesus came into the world so that the culture of heaven would be understandable, but he also came so that the culture of heaven would be taken in by his people, right? God wants his love not to be this abstract concept that's out there somewhere, but he wants it to be the defining reality of our lives. And that's why it's so fitting that John, who was known as the disciple of love, wrote these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. For John, this became the defining reality of his life. It became the defining reality of how he led and pastored churches. And so... what. What we're going to do for the rest of our time this morning is we don't want to have vague concepts or notions of the love of God. We want to have our definition of love defined the way that God defines it. So we're going to work through this equation. So the first part of God's love is his lavish affection. The text says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not just God loves the world, but he so loves the world. 
That word so encapsulates all of Christianity. It is that word that moves us from duty to delight. It is that word that moves us from rebels to sons and daughters. It's that word that moves skeptics and doubters and people that have questions about who God is and what he's like. It changes those kinds of people into worshipers. Christianity is defined by that word, God so loved. It is full of lavish affection. He does not withhold his affection from people at all. It is expansive. It is life-changing. It has defined the world since that very first Christmas morning when Jesus came into the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And listen, if you are in this room and under the sound of my voice, he so loved you that he gave his son, right? That is what we are celebrating here this morning, the fact that God is lavish in his Affection. It is a love that, according to the book of Ephesians, that was set on us before the foundation of the world. Before God created the world, He set His love on His sons and His daughters. And His love became manifest through Jesus, through the incarnation, through a baby being born in a manger being born to live the life that we could never live, being born to, de- to die the death that we all deserve to die, and being raised up as the King of glory. His affection for us is lavish. Now listen, God's love never changes. It never goes up. It never goes down. And that's what's so counterintuitive to us as the people of God because our love goes up our love goes down based most of the time by how people are treating us all right right but God's love is unchanging it's supposed to anchor us in a world and circumstances that are always changing his love never changes so it's supposed to tether us to what is true his love never changes. We are the so loved people of God. But there are times when the reality of God's love becomes more real to us. In Romans 5 language, there are times when we begin to hope and he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we become alive to the reality that we're not just part of the world, but we are the so loved people of God. And what we are supposed to fight hard to believe as Christmas people is that that's who we are as the church. We are the so loved people of God. His love is made manifest to us in and through Jesus. And this love is radically indiscriminate. Whoever believes in this love that was made manifest, whoever wants to live as though this message is true, gets to have eternal life. I mean, that, there is no better news in the universe than the fact that he has taken on flesh and he becomes the savior of the world. And it's fitting that, that Jesus uses this and teaches this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That's what John chapter 3, that's the context. 
Nicodemus was one of the leading religious leaders of the day. And basically, I mean, these guys were OCD about obedience. I mean, they had God's law memorized frontwards, backwards. They added to God's law. I mean, these were the, the guys that were tithing out of their spice rack. I mean, that's pretty serious. I mean, they were varsity level. And I mean, I don't want to knock them too hard, but I mean, they basically believed that, that God loved people that were lovely, Right? That God came for people that had it all together. And that's why it's so counterintuitive. Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't just come for the people that are lovely or the people that thought they had it all together. I came for the world. And the world is not just all the people in the world. The world literally is this broken system that, that is full of injustice and oppression and sin and sickness and death. It's that world that I so loved and that world that I so came for. That God's love is indiscriminate and it, love comes to us not at our best but at our worst. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God says this. He says, there is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. God so loved the world and so loved us, not at our best, but at our worst. His love for us is lavish. In his book called Charis, which is the Greek word for grace, Preston Sprinkle tells the story of a woman named Mary Mott. Mary Mott was just a follower of Jesus. And in the early 1990s, she saw an interview with serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted of some of the most horrific crimes in all of United States history. He murdered and maimed 17 young men, even in parts of it were involved with cannibalism. And Mary Mott began to send Bible studies to Jeffrey Dahmer as he was in prison. After a while, he began to converse with her and ask for more Bible studies, more of this idea of God's love and God's grace that might come to him. And so as he began to respond, she reached out to a local pastor who went in and began to share the gospel with Jeffrey Dahmer. And from all accounts, Jeffrey Dahmer, who was the worst serial killer in United States history, accepted and received the love of God. And you know who had the most problem with that kind of indiscriminate love and that kind of indiscriminate grace? It's people inside the church, right? How can God's love come to someone like this? But the reality is that's always been true, that God's love is for the world. It's for the broken. It's for the outcast. It's for the murderer. It's for the rapist. It's for the adulterer. Preston Sprinkle goes on to say this. He says, Grace is God's aggressive pursuit of and his stubborn delight in freakishly foul people. That means we all qualify. And since we all stood or stand guilty in God's courtroom, 
homeschooling moms, porn stars, Awana champions, and suicide bombers, we all urgently need the same stuff that rearranged Dahmer's soul. We all need grace. Right? That's what it is. It's about God's lavish affection coming to rest on his people. God so loved the world and he so loved us that he gave his own son. That is the motivation of the gospel. Now we're going to actually look at the heart of the gospel itself, which brings me to the second part of the equation. God's love is his lavish affection plus his unrestrained generosity. The motivation of the gospel is his love. The heart of the gospel is his generosity. For God so loved the world, he gave. God is a giver. His generosity governs how he deals with all of his people all of the time. And it's so fitting that he addresses the deepest needs of our souls by giving his only son. Because the original lie in the garden was what? That God's holding out on us. That... God's not good, that we must find life and happiness on our own. So he sends his only son. God does not withhold his one and only son. He gives his son to overcome the deepest lie that we all believe that God is not good and that he's holding out on us. God overcomes this lie by sending his own son. Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Generosity is at the heart of the Christmas story that God gave his only son. He did not withhold his best from us when we were at our worst. And the good news about this, God is a giver His generosity will never be exhausted. You're never going to tire God. You're never going to bother him. God is lavish in his love and he's also generous in the way that he meets us. Um, He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. And he gave his son knowing the cost, that the joy of Christmas means the agony of the cross. That this was a commitment from God to meet his people by the giving of his only son. That his only son not only would be born in a manger, but he would be hung on a cross so that we could experience salvation and forgiveness. God's not withholding anything from us. My kids, I... I love that they do this. They, they probably come to me five to ten times a day wanting a soda, wanting a candy bar, wanting some cookies or desserts, I don't know. Um, and they bring those requests to me repeatedly, not only because I can answer them, but they know that I love to give them those kinds of things. Now, there's sometimes that I withhold them just out of um, restraint, just for their own good, but at the heart of it is, like, Generosity. They know I want to be able to give them good things. Well, I mean, as we look to the manger and we look to the cross, that's who we have in the person of Jesus, someone that was nailed to the cross. And so we can bring all of our requests, big and small, 
And, and I, I mean, just the last few weeks, I've literally just asked God for some really, what I would consider some things big things, some things small things. It'd be amazing to just to see the, the lavish generosity that he has towards us, the way that he, he cares about the details. So the reason I bring your attention to that is because, listen, this, this season, right, you're going to leave this room in a few minutes, is fraught with anxiety. It's fraught with loneliness. Most of us are going to step into some kinds of family dynamics that are less than ideal, right? I mean, I'm not, not very many of us are going to step into a Norman Rockwell painting, you know? We are going to experience real difficulty. And in the midst of that, God's unrestrained generosity means he wants to meet you in the midst of all of that. Like he wants to feed you this morning with his love so that you can manifest that love wherever that you go. He wants to be able to to meet you. So um, if you have any care or any burden or any anxiety, the unrestrained generosity of God invites you to cast them on him, right? He doesn't want us to go into all these family contexts burdened down or full of anxiety. He actually wants to meet us and be with us. And then I want to close with this final idea. The final point is God's love is rooted in his eternal commitment to his people. This is a love that's not just generous, not just affectionate, but it's a love that takes action. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There are real life-altering consequences to the love of God. His love changes us from the inside out. This is part of a larger teaching in John chapter 3 on the new birth that when people come into contact with this kind of love, it changes them from the inside out. It moves them from death to life. I can remember my own story. I mean, I remember hearing it with my ears for about 20 years, and I remember hearing it with my heart for the first time, and my eyes are opened. And that, that's what's supposed to happen. Like, if you are born again, you're supposed to hear this with ears to hear, and it's supposed to come in, and it's supposed to take up residence, and it's supposed to give you joy and hope in the midst of um, uncertainty. So Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people Um, we join a a story that's already been in progress. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless his people and that he he would bless all nations through them. John chapter 3 is a fulfillment of that. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's this concept of the covenant love of God. It's his steadfast love. And it's a love that we sang about this morning that pursues us. Psalm 23 verse 6 says this, It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And those words, goodness and mercy, are the steadfast covenant love of God, shall follow me or literally pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it's a love that chases after us. It's a love that pursues us. It's a love that never gives up on us. It's a love that changes us from the inside out. 
Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible, I I literally cannot say it any better than this. She says, you have been loved with a never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Right? It's a love that secures us forever. It's a love that changes us from the inside out. And it's a love that keeps us tethered to God no matter how far we stray, no matter how far we wander. Keeps us tethered to God no matter what you're going to walk into um, when you leave this room. His love changes us. His love lasts forever. And I want to close with this story. It's from 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon. And he was having a conversation with uh, a lady in his, con- in his congregation, and she was doubting God's love. A familiar concept, how we can oftentimes... Um, and she had this, this nagging question. She said, I know that deep down that I love God, but I'm not convinced that he loves me. And this is what he said to her. He says... I once knew a woman who was the subject of many doubts. When I got to the bottom of her doubt, it was this. She said she knew she loved Christ, but she was afraid that he did not love her. He said, oh, I said, that is a doubt that will never trouble me. Never by any possibility, because I am sure of this, that the heart is so corrupt naturally that love to God never did get there without God's putting it there. You you may rest quite certain that if you love God, it is a fruit and not a root. It is the fruit of God's love to you. And it did not get there by the force of any goodness in you. You may conclude with absolute certainty that God loves you if you love God. Right? So this love changes us. If there is any love, if there is any inclination inside of your life and inside of your heart to be warmed by this truth, it is the fruit that God loves you. Now, God is holding out this eternal life to all of us here this morning, that we would believe, that we would turn to him, that we would be transformed as we look to the, really, the miracle of the incarnation that Jesus Christ came into the world that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So let's marvel at his generosity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you um, that you are generous, that you are affectionate, and that you actually move in space and time and act on our behalf I pray that you would bring security and assurance to those that need assurance. I pray that you would change us so that we would be effective in the way that we walk out our lives and our faith. Thank you for your great love for us. May we marvel at who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.